Ahead of Manchester City's Champions League clash with Real Madrid, many people, myself included, expected another high-class, high-stakes game of cat and mouse. As it turned out, the cat ripped the mouse's head off and stamped all over the broken and bleeding body, daring other mice to try their luck. Yes, the cat has very expensive food and its owner's been accused of paying for that food by breaking the rules, but it's still a very impressive cat. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. By the time Manchester City face Chelsea on Sunday, they might already be champions. But if Arsenal have one at Nottingham Forest, they'll at least have to do some work to make sure of a fifth English crown in six seasons. Somebody who always does plenty of work, regardless of the circumstances, is Marco Hare, nominated for another 100 tipping and betting awards recently. Mark, City face a Chelsea side that will be managed by Mauricio Pochettino from next season but this current version under Frank Lampard is just a listless mess it's quite a mismatch this isn't it really when you think about what City just did to Real Madrid pulled their pants down in front of the entire world and now they've got to play Chelsea who are just all over the shop yeah I, I agree I don't think anyone expected Man City to, to show that level of dominance on, on Wednesday night um, as good a performance as I can remember at that stage of the tournament uh, in the Champions League um, just merciless really aggressive and clinical and as close to perfection as you'll find and Madrid just had no answer to it um, they're on their knees very early doors and uh, never really recovered and I guess you know we see Man City priced up very short across all competitions across against every opposition really, all venues, um, they are the highest rated team on the planet for a reason because they can reach those those levels really which are unmatched in, in world football and um, yeah it's all set up now for them to now go on and, and win the treble, I think we're at 1.62 to, to win the treble from here, 1.25 to lift the Champions League trophy. Um, they will be the, the heaviest favourites in Champions League final history going into that match against Inter Milan. Um, they are on the verge or the cusp of, of greatness, really, and a very historic achievement. So I don't expect them to, to falter from here. As you say, it kind of is all a little bit tinged with um, things behind the scenes, I guess. The funding from an oil state, um, I think it's been quickly forgotten as well that City is still facing an alleged... You know, over a hundred breaches really of the yeah. Premier League's financial rules as well. So that's it's not a cuddly your... story, is it? No, it's, it's not... one where you kind of go, "Wow, they're really good at football, and their coach is amazing." But eh. mm. I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy for the people who were watching when they were in League One. The whole Nicky Weaver, Paul Dickov shebang, great, love that. Yeah, that for them, I'm, I'm pleased for them. But in general. I can understand why it's not universally loved. Let's just put yeah, it that yeah. way. C- couldn't agree more. City have been through some hard times. And I think for those fans who have been around from the, the 90s, uh, early noughties, really, when they had to sort of start their road to recovery to where they are now, it's an incredible, incredible journey, really. But um, as much as I could admire the football and enjoy the football, I do feel slightly cold towards their achievements. But um, yeah, in, in terms of this match, it is kind of dictated by what happens at the City ground on the Saturday. So it's hard to get too into the nitty-gritty, but City have been in kill mode in the Premier League for, for quite some time now. Um, you know, Fulham and Leeds felt they had a chance to get something against games 
with City, they didn't. Um, Everton were much better than the, the one-sided scoreline suggested last week. I think the first 30 minutes frustrated them. Um, City showed a lack of kind of incisiveness with the ball and they were sort of hounded and harassed quite quite feroci- like, ferociously really by Everton. Um, but um, obviously, Ilkay Gundogan does something outrageous and that changes the complexion and that's what City are capable of, of doing when things aren't really going their way. But uh, yeah, the title is theirs regardless. So I still expect City to field a strong side. I still expect City to put in a positive performance because this is a relatively big game still. You know, Chelsea, despite what they've done this season, are a big club. So they've beaten them all five occasions they've met since losing the Champions League final. And they haven't conceded a goal in that time either. Um, and as you say, Chelsea have been just an embarrassment this season. Um, to fail to beat Nottingham Forest at home, terrible travellers, to put in such a limp effort as well. Defensively unorganised. Um, I think they've conceded twice or more in four or six now under Lampard. His bingo style kind of <laughs> That's selection That's a super policy. Frankie Lampard way. <laughs> the, the policy of just kind of just picking names out of a hat really to field isn't working. Set pieces, they've looked dreadful. Um, they're going to finish in the bottom half as well. I think that's already confirmed as well. So, embarrassing campaign. They've won once against the top half all season. They've lost 10 of 17 of oh those Oh my matches. God. Sorry, they've won once against the top half all season. Yeah, but I think even more damning, they've played 17 games against the top half. They've lost 10, won one. They've scored nine goals in those oh 17 games. It's horrendous. Um, they've only kept two clean sheets in the last 14. They've won five times in 26 Premier League games. Not the kind of numbers you want heading to, to City, um, who could be in party mood. A City side who has scored 59 goals at home this season. Uh, only three occasions in previous Premier League history as a team scored 60 or more at home in a single campaign. City have scored three goals and more than 13 of 18 at home. They've beaten all of their top seven rivals at home. All seven wins by at least two goal margins. In 14 of their 18 home matches, uh, they've won by two goals or more as well. So um, it's hard to see Chelsea kind of coming close to them. But um, I am slightly put off by what could occur on Saturday, which might have a a bearing on this fixture. So, again, it's team news dependent. But in the last two fixtures, Chelsea have started Trevor Shalabar right back in the back four. Um, Not sure that's his greatest position. And I'm not sure he's going to be in for a a pleasant time, whether it's Grealish or Foden down that left. Um, He's 4-11 to to commit a foul. And seven to four to commit two or more fouls. Aspilaqueta is the other option here, but he's half the price in terms of the fouls market, which is interesting because Shalabar is only eleven to four to collect a card. Yet Aspilaqueta is nine to two for a card. So quite hard to make sense of those prices. But my advice is actually to back Shalabar to commit two or more fouls at seven to four, but also back Aspilaqueta to collect a card at nine to two. So you're basically taking the two biggest price options because one of them will be benched more than likely, and you'll get. Yeah. Uh, that bet void. So two big prices really on potential right backs against either Grealish or Foden. Master of maths and king of the sustainable edge, Mark Stinchcombe is here. Stinch, as Mark alluded to there, you go back to that 2021 Champions League final and Chelsea beat Manchester City in, in the biggest game there is in club football in Europe. It's amazing to see City trading at 1.27 and if anything, looking a bit big. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be backing it, but I can understand where where you're coming from. I think we know that Chelsea have underperformed given the money and talent they have available to them, and then maybe to throw in the third mix, they've invested in a lot of youth, and we know you get a lot of volatile performances, uh, lack of consistency. So, yeah, it's not something I would obviously want to back. I mean, 
can you believe City are two to five to win in 90 minutes against Inter? Like it's a Champions League final. It's just yeah. incredible, incredible odds. But that's 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 the reality that we're we're living in with the the best team on the on the planet. So yeah, it's 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 something that obviously I wouldn't want to back because you know in order to carve out a good price, you need City to win on the handicap. Um, and if the the league is already sewn up, then you know there's no motivation there. So if Arsenal don't win um, on Saturday, then City win the league, I think mathematically. So I assume that City price might drift. So yeah, if Arsenal don't win, maybe you could get in quick and lay City and then trade out pre kickoff. I think that those odds that would give you a, a positive EV trade. Um, I'd I'd like to sort of dissect the game similar to Mark. If we assume Arsenal do win. Uh, and that means City need to win this in order to win the league. Um, I, I'd like to assume that um, Grealish then probably starts um, as it's against Chelsea rather than someone terrible like Everton. Um, he he's uh, he's become a, a key player for Pep. Uh, he started every league game and Champions League game Grealish since the uh, Manchester derby defeat, which he actually scored in in January. And he's the second most fouled player in the Premier League after Zaha, uh, 2.8 times per game he's fouled. And as Mark mentioned, Shalaba started the last two uh, right back. And I think Chelsea will will target Grealish. Um, I think there's been an element of anger in the Chelsea players since Lampard's returned. Chelsea collected 16 cards in his six Premier League games, so just shy of three per game. Which is... is that because Lampard's returned? <laughs> I don't know if it's because of Lampard's return or the tactics are terrible. They're just so unhappy with the season to date. But um, yeah, I don't know whether Lampard's asked them to stick an extra boot in. I mean, if Conor Gallagher's on the pitch, the yellow card expectancy automatically goes up by one for Chelsea. But um, Shalabar himself has been booked in five of his last 12 starts and he doesn't start that often. So he's obviously prone to, to leaving a leg in anyway. So yeah, I like the same bet as Mark Shalabar to commit two or more fouls at seven to four, but also like Grealish to get a yellow card at eleven to two. He was booked against Madrid on uh, Wednesday night, and he's seemingly—I mean, understandably so—he's seemingly getting a bit angry. And uh, oh yeah, he's very chippy. He's very—he's. I mean, I always think of when they played Atletico Madrid, and he was having his hair pulled and all that. The whole thing was to try and detonate him and get him to kick off because he's got that in him. And it kind of helps his game, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, we see players in similar positions with similar skill sets. And you think uh, in terms of like dribbling, you think of like Neymar, Vinicius, they collect a lot of yellow cards as well yeah. due to retaliation. And it's no surprise, really, that Grealish is getting uh, these yellow cards, especially in bigger games. He's been booked five times since February um, against Madrid, Arsenal twice, Spurs and Fulham. Uh, wondering if there's maybe a bit of a London coincidence there he was booked against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup game in December where he was fouled three times and then he retaliated with a foul and got booked uh, along with Azpilicueta and actually against Chelsea he's received the joint most yellow cards in his career so as again I think the Chelsea players will attack him and I think that's something that's happened in before hence why he's been getting these yellow cards so uh, the final bet here I like as well is Grealish and Shalabar both to get a card at 26 to 1. Wow Trader, tipster and renowned drill rapper Brian McDonnell is with us. Brian, off on a slight tangent, how much damage has this spell in charge of Chelsea done to Frank Lampard, do you think? Because he did okay in his first spell. He went to Everton. Yeah, he kept them up, but nobody's particularly convinced. He had a decent team and some money at Derby and he couldn't get them promoted. 
So what's this done to him? Yeah, it's uh, as you said. Yeah, even when when he started off with with Derby, he, he with the players he had, not to get them up. Like, I, I don't think his CV was was that great even before he came back to Chelsea. Um, I don't think he can ever refuse coming back to Chelsea. I don't no. think like he's never going to have an opportunity. Well, based on his CV so far, he's never going to have an opportunity. <clears throat> excuse me, again to get into uh, probably a, a Premier League team. Um, for him. I think his best case scenario will be looking at like the England 21 job or, or the England 20 job or something and just have a nice cushy job outside of the, the media spotlight. Um, I don't, it's very hard to see him coming back and, 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 and managing a Premier League team or even, even, even a championship team. Um, but he is a name though, isn't he? And to be fair, I, we do, ha- we hammer him loads on this show. We really do, to be fair. But he speaks very well. He's clearly very experienced as a player. He's clearly got a bit of aura in terms of, you know, it's that whole medals on the table thing, isn't it? He can win those arguments, but it does seem like he needs to have good tactical people around him because it just isn't working tactically for him. And he's had enough chances now as well. This is his fourth spell in in, in charge of uh, of a club. Um you know, Gary Neville was a name, and he 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 tried, and he just said, you know, this isn't working out for me. I'm just going to go down. I'll I'll bite my, uh, you know, I'll I'll, I'll realise that I'm, I might be out of my depth here in, in in managerial role and go down the media route. And you know, I love Frank Lampard as a as a player. He's one of my favourite opposition players to watch and play. He was he was a legend for Chelsea. Um, but look, sometimes it just it just doesn't work out. So I don't know if he's gonna if he's gonna keep going down the managerial route. It's hard to see and uh, people taking a, a gamble on him anymore. So. Um, from a managerial point of view, I think to answer your question, yeah, it's it's, it's quite damaging. <laughs> this this spell, especially Mark, and 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 Stinch have talked about how sort of poor Chelsea have been um, since since his his return. It was madness by by Todd Bowley to even go to him in the, in the first place. I think um, why not just just see it see the season out with with, with Graham Potter? Um, we just done the on the run from the fans was effectively what it was. It was just a sop to fans, I think. Yeah, and I think the the fans were 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 quite divided as well. Well, you know, like a lot of them, they they obviously knew how it ended the first time with Frank Lampard, and they could probably foresee how it was going to go again the second time. And that you know, it is just putting out a further nail into into his managerial coffin, which has been which has been going on for for a while now. So look, I feel bad for Frank Lampard. I don't think I think it is quite quite, quite damaging, and it would be difficult to see him. Um, anyone taking a gamble on him like is he going to want to go down to like league two or or, or, or league one um, to take a job I, I i don't know so it'll be interesting to see what 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 his next move is i wouldn't be surprised if it's in the uh if we see him on on, on super sunday for for next season a, a couple of times um in terms of this game though i think i don't think man city could have cherry picked a better team to play other than chelsea if, if they have you know uh, one game at home to to win the league with, with what's gone with chelsea over the past season and a few months especially um i think mark touched upon the record against top 10 teams um this season since city lost that champions league final against chelsea in 2021 they played chelsea five times winning all five without conceding a goal i wouldn't be surprised if that's the case again i wouldn't like to back it either but i wouldn't be surprised if that's the case um you know we saw a real madrid midfield last night of cruz modric and and, and valverde knock it a sniff at the etihad um and the way Chelsea's midfield has been playing out there without Kante, so it's going to be uh, Gallagher, uh, Enzo Fernandez, and uh, Kovacic. You'd imagine, like, I, I just can't see how they're going to have any sort of control or or, or, or uh, passage of play in 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 this game. Um, it is going to be 
impossible nearly for, for Man City to match the intensity they had against Madrid, especially if they are already champions. But I think if they are champions already, I'd, st- I'd, I'd still be quite bullish of them putting a, a score past this Chelsea team. I think they can stroll through the game. The, the shackles will be off. Um, I know the lad spoke about maybe uh, over the past couple of weeks City winning by a single goal might be might be the way to go. But now that they're, they're, there's not really any pressure on them, um, I think they can uh, they can win this quite comfortably. Um, Half time, full time is is eight to eleven. They're, they're too short to back at the one to five. Half time, full time is eight to eleven. But I'm looking at them to win the first half by minus a goal. So to win by two goals or more, I think, is a play here at just over um, three to one at the moment. I think back to Chelsea's game, their last away game against a top team was uh, a top four team was against um, Arsenal when they didn't get a, a touch of the ball before they were three nil down and, and Arsenal took the foot off the gas and they came into it into the second half. Um, but I think City can just can just stroll through them here. Um, Mark touched upon the amount of goals they've been scoring this season at home at the Etihad. Um, and if you look at their splits, there's not much in it. Uh, 2.06 first half goals and, and 2.15 second half goals. So I think they can come out fast, put the, the game to bed early. Um, and I'd be, I'd be quite surprised if Chelsea score. We have them in for just eight shots in this game. Madrid during the week were in for 10 shots in, in a game they had to score and once they went behind um, and they only managed seven and an XG of, of 0.54. So when you have a front three of Benzema, Rodrigo and, and Vinicius failing to, to land a blow, um, I think it's going to be very hard for the, um, the Chelsea attack as well. So I'm going to go for a bigger price, three to one for them to win the first half by two goals or more. Yeah, lots of options for your bet builders there, potentially. It is worth bearing in mind, if you place a £5 bet builder on this game, you can get a £5 free bet to use on bet builders. T's and C's in the description, 18+. plus. See gambleaware.org. Let's go to the South Coast. Brighton up against already relegated Southampton. Stinch, we've talked about the dreadful mistakes the people at the top of Southampton have been making. It's hard to see how they can lay a glove on Brighton in terms of the match result, we don't know at the time of recording, of course, what the Seagulls did against Newcastle on Thursday. But I know you think that Saints, awful as they are, can actually score a goal in this one. Yeah, the price is for sure. I mean, Brighton are 1-5 to five to win this match. I mean, we just talked about City being 1-5. to five. Should Brighton be 1-5 to five to be winning Premier League matches? They were 2-9 to nine v, <clears throat> they were two to nine v the Majestic Everton. Obviously, where they they lost five one, they were yeah. four to seven away at Forest, where they lost three one. They were um, they were heavy odds on against Forest at home earlier in the season when they drew nil nil. I just don't think Brighton should be going off at these prices. I mean, Arsenal were a very similar price against Southampton one to five. Yet we know Brighton went to Arsenal's last weekend and were ten to three. So. If Brighton were 10-3 to last weekend, how can they be the same price now that Arsenal are against Southampton? So it just doesn't add up for me. And so in that mind, basically, I feel like because Brighton are, are too short, that means that Southampton's ability to score is undervalued, essentially. Yeah. I mean, over two and a half goals is 4-11. to 11. <laughs> But both teams to score is 10-11. to 11. It's like the market is saying Brighton are going to win 3-0 and... and and convincingly, 3 0, like it's going to be easy, you know, 4 to 11 over two and a half goals, and Southampton aren't scoring any of them. So I just think it's a cracking price because we know Brighton are susceptible defensively. Um, another thing on the price is City go to Brighton um, in the coming week, and City are 10 to 11 away at Brighton. We just mentioned earlier that City are 2 to 5 the Inter Milan. Like, when. When when a Brighton like Champions League final like ability like 
I'm looking for prices next season on Brighton to win the Champions League, and they're not even in it. Like it's just. So what's driving this then? Is it to do with their XG? Is it just a general kind of love affair with what Deserbi's doing with Brighton? What's driving it? I'm glad you asked, Kev, because since Deserbi arrived at Brighton, they've collected the seventh most points in the league, which I was a little bit surprised at. I thought it'd be a lot higher. Um, it's only one more point than Brentford, for example. I and mean, we lord Brentford a lot, but they don't play yeah. the same style of football. <clears throat> However. Brighton have scored the joint third most goals and actually have the third most expected points. So essentially, uh, that's that's what driving the the prices. Um, I think they're a bet for top four next season. Um, de- obviously, price dependent, but you'd imagine they're going to be. Well, if we consider che- if we consider City, obviously Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea. I mean, they could even be like seven faves after Spurs, perhaps for top four. Um, so I think that 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 could be a good bet. I mean, we saw Newcastle um, how they they were the sort of priced up as the best of the rest this season. It looks like they're going to make Champions League. So I don't think it's too far fetched to think Brighton could do the same. But yeah, it's obviously all price de- dependent. Does it depend who they lose as well, Stinch? Because we think they're going to lose McAllister. There'll be clubs in for Caicedo. I know they're very very good at replacing those guys and finding the new versions of those players. But you're asking a lot, aren't you, to keep replacing these guys? Yeah, that's a good point, I think, because I think there's some people that like don't think that the top clubs can sign the players that Brighton do from obscurity, if you like, and immediately hit the ground running. And I think that's a good point that I think that both... Caicedo and McAllister are great examples because they didn't immediately come into the team. It took a while to bed in. I think it's really in their sort of second seasons where they've come to the fore. So, yeah, that is a very good point that, yeah, we do have to wait and see what they do uh, transfer-wise. I mean, uh, we have to see if, you know, Madrid will, will, will go for the 50 million for the, for the 18-year-old striker. Um, you know, he is that good. Um, I jest. Um, but, yeah, in terms of Brighton defensively... Hell of a player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe top goal scorer. That could be something to have a look at as well. Like, I would imagine he might be a little bit undervalued. So, yeah, um, lots of opportunities, which I look forward to analysing over the summer. But, uh, yeah, in terms of Brighton defensively, they've only got the 11th best defence since the Zerbis took over. And essentially, you know, this is where I think, you know, we can we can make a bet, basically. Uh, eight clean sheets in 27, which is not in keeping with the third best team, I would say, that they are rated as. Um and maybe Southampton might play with a bit more freedom now they're relegated. They scored at all of Arsenal. I mean, they scored three at Arsenal, right? They scored at Newcastle, scored at Spurs. They scored at home to City recently. Um, and also the other thing I was considering, will there be an element of tiredness for Brighton playing lots and lots of football yeah. uh, right now? It'll be their eighth game in less than a month. So, yeah, I mean, given over two and a half goals is four to 11, I'm very happy to chance that Southampton could be involved in that. And they score, and it could even be one-one, and the better ten to eleven wins, but the over two and a half would lose. So yeah, I think ten to eleven for both teams to score in Brighton game is a is a cracking price. In sport, what's just as important as the goals, the glory, the roar of the crowd? Yes, it's the halftime break. Time for a breather, a reset to keep everything on track. In sports betting, Betfair's safer gambling tools help you do that too, like timeouts, so you take that all-important halftime break or deposit limits to help you keep count. Manage your play at safergambling.betfair.com. Simple ways to stay on top of your game with Betfair. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. 
Massive game in the Bundesliga title race. Augsburg take on Borussia Dortmund. Mark, Dortmund have been unbelievably good at home. They've been smashing teams all season at Zignal Iduna Park. But what we know is that away from home, they're more patchy. And by the time they play this game, Bayern might have already beaten Leipzig. And so they'll be four points ahead of Dortmund. And then the pressure's really on. Yep, you've kind of taken away my first couple of notes on this match. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah, I hate to be kind of cliche about things, but regardless of Bayern Munich's result against RB Leipzig on Saturday, this just feels like the banana skin <laughs> for Dortmund always slip over on, um, especially when the pressure is on. So as you say, Bayern lead the way by one point. Clearly the matchup with Leipzig a day earlier could be very pivotal, but for two options really. Firstly, if Bayern win, they move four points clear. Dortmund only have two games left to try and reel them back in, starting at Augsburg on Sunday. Um, I'm sure it won't, but there's a, a potential for, for Dortmund really to believe that the title race is done and dusted, um, with kind of Bayern surviving the last big test, although Cologne away on the final day isn't a gimme either. Secondly, Bayern do drop points, then that piles the pressure on Dortmund yeah. to get the results. <laughs> yeah. um, and in that past decade or so, Dortmund have not coped well psychologically with that kind of pressure in similar circumstances. And I think... A trip to Augsburg isn't, it's not easy, um, especially for a Dortmund side that's already failed to win a Bochum and, and Stuttgart in the past month. Uh, in fact, Dortmund have failed to win at three of the bottom five already. They escaped with 1-0 wins when travelling to Hertha and Hoffenheim. They failed to win nine of 16 away games already this season, and they've won by a two-goal margin just three times on their travels. Now, Augsburg are a tricky team when they're playing at home. They've already beaten Bayern, Union and Leverkusen at home. They've held Leipzig, they've held Wolfsburg. Freiburg are the only side in the top seven to win away at Augsburg this year. Last year they beat Bayern, they held Dortmund and Leipzig and Dortmund have actually failed to win in Augsburg four of the last six trips. So, you know, they've had struggles in this fixture in the past and, um, um, you know, I can see Augsburg scoring uh, and then you require, you know, if you take the selection I'm going to nominate, you require Dortmund to score three here. So I think Augsburg plus one and a half on the Asian handicap at around 1.86 1, 1. is the way to play this because at the, this point in time, Dortmund don't care how the win comes around. It's just about winning this match and trying to take the title race to the final day of the season. I don't expect them to keep a clean sheet. I think this is a real tricky occasion for them. I actually think laying Dortmund around 1.41 could be the way to play this too, because um, I just don't trust them whatsoever, regardless of the performances in recent weeks, kind of eviscerating Gladbach last week, and the front three are in great form, scoring goals, they're creating chances. Bellingham is looking just so composed and, and such a leader for someone of his age. Yeah. It's, it's, it's remarkable, really. You'd love them to, to kind of get over the final the final hurdle, but um, I can't see it, unfortunately. And I think their title dreams might die this weekend. Yeah, we shall see. We'll see what happens with Bayern and Leipzig as well, because I do know the Leipzig players very keen uh, to make Bayern trip up. This football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.com. Org. Leeds United still in big trouble in the relegation battle. They're in the drop zone as they visit a West Ham team that might be either related or deflated, depending on what happened against RZ in the Conference League on Thursday. Brian, how's this one going to go? Um, I'm, I'm on side with Leeds in this one. Um, I tried my best last week to tip them up against Newcastle without really having anything to back up my reasoning other than <laughs> other, other than they looked big and and, and they'd put in a, a huge performance in uh, Allardyce's first home game. Um, they did to an extent. I mean, in the end, they'd be happy to take the point after 
you know, going ahead, going behind, missing a penalty, finishing with 10 men. Um, I thought last week when we were talking about it, it was kind of a must-win game for both sides and they wouldn't settle for the point, but could turn out to be a crucial point in the end for, for Leeds because if um, Everton failed to beat Wolves on, on Saturday afternoon, a win for Leeds will, will have them out of the relegation zone heading into the last day of the season. And if Everton were to beat Wolves, then anything but a Leeds win might, might could send them down. So I think they're worth having a go against West Ham, who, uh, as you said, are over in uh, AZ on uh, Thursday night with their um, Conference League semi-final. Um, after their first leg last week, David Moyes made 10 changes to the team that beat Alkmaar in the first leg. And, and they were quite poor, really, in defeat to Brentford. They didn't offer much. Uh, only mustered up 0.2 of an expected goal um, and, and conceded 4.4 um, expected goals against. Um, so they probably we probably won't make the same 10 changes for this one, but you'd imagine it would be like a mix of that Europa League team yeah. and, the t- and the team who, who went to Brentford last week. And, and I think Leeds uh, can, can take advantage of that. I think it'll be interesting to see if, if Patrick Bamford starts on Sunday. You know, We've seen Allardyce drop Melier for... Um, Robles, and I pronounced him as as Joe Robles um, in last week's episode, and I got a, I got a message off someone. Joe saying, Robles. It's, 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 Joe it's, Robles. It's, it is yeah. Joe Robles. I was someone. No, it's so, not. So, it's so, definitely not. <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe Robles. But someone came out to me. It's, it's 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 Robles. It's Robles. So I didn't have my, my commentator hat on, Kevin. So uh, I have it. I have it. I'll, I'll I'll try to make sure uh, that doesn't very happen again. Hat. But yes, yes, don't yes. Don't worry. But in his yeah, he was dropped anyway, or he came in anyway for Allardyce's first two games after. Melier was probably a bit low on confidence and another player who, who's low on confidence it seems is Patrick Bamford who, who can't appear to get any luck at the moment it was he's had a lot of abuse as well from from fans and it's been not very nice yeah there's been like highlight reels doing the rounds of him of his missed chances this season and if he only took a couple of those away that they'd be they'd be a bit higher up the league table um his penalty against Newcastle was sort of indicative of a player who's low on confidence it was it was a particularly poor penalty and he's been unfortunate with injuries over the past couple of seasons like he hasn't been that same player that he was when Leeds first came up um but he still is their main striker they don't have a huge amount of other options I don't know if you bring in Nato and and put Rodrigo through the middle for this one I'm, I'm not sure but regardless of, of who plays I think um Leeds can take advantage of West Ham's trip uh, on on Thursday evening, so I'd be a, a backer of them at uh, just over three on the exchange. Um, I think there'll be goals as well uh, as an aside for for both teams. Leeds have kept just one clean sheet in their last seventeen league games, and that was a one 0 win over Southampton at home. Just the one away clean sheet all season as well. And West Ham has scored in each of their nine home games in twenty twenty three. Um, even with a, a rotated team, I think they could score. So. If you want to take a, a stab at a bigger price, leads to win. Both teams to score um, is around nine to two. Lovely stuff. Monday night, huge game between Champions League chasing Newcastle and relegation threatened Leicester. Marker commentated on Leicester's defeat to Liverpool on Monday. Foxes played well for about five minutes and then just got steamrolled. They were they were really poor. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I think they played better than. Played, played okay for maybe 15, 20 minutes, or maybe until the first goal, uh, and then the heads went down. But, you know, we don't but know. Liverpool that, had already started to squeeze well before that first goal came, hadn't they? They had, but I don't think you can say that Leicester played poorly for the first half hour until the goal. But I think that there was a, a noticeable shift in their performance levels after the goal. And that's probably the point I'm trying to make. But. We don't know the state of Newcastle's match with Brighton on, on Thursday night, so I'll focus on Leicester. Um, 
didn't really foresee this decline from them, uh, not necessarily sort of year on year in terms of being champions to, to relegation in seven years, but just in terms of where they were at the start of the season, I, I looked at the squad and obviously the defence is a, a terrible collection of, of characters, but everywhere else, they, they should be good enough to be sort of consolidating in mid-table at worst, really. And, you know, I know there's been cost-cutting measures, um, poor sort of succession planning in terms of bringing players in. They've made a mess of recruitment as well, but you can compare and contrast with other clubs in the bottom half. They should not be in the position they're in. But I think what was quite shambolic about Monday and actually some of the more recent efforts is the the kind of unnegotiables of, of kind of character and desire and battle and work rate haven't been there for Leicester. And I think that's what has really sort of disappointed and angered fans who I think they started chanting, we've had a shot with kind of a few minutes of normal time remaining because they've, they've been so well beaten by Liverpool on, on that Monday night. Just one win in 14 games, six points in that in that kind of time frame. On Monday, that was the, the sort of record equaling home defeat of 10 Ten defeats at home all season, just not good enough, really. And yeah, they look shot to pieces. And I think we've talked about it enough. But appointing Dean Smith was was underwhelming at the time. And um, I'd love to have seen someone like Ralph Hausenhutl come in and, and kind of given the reins to, to sort of utilise the kind of key components and forward areas. And I know we go back to recruitment, but none of the January signings started against Liverpool. And their only summer signing to feature was was with Fires, who's been a complete hindrance in the last couple of months, actually. So they brought Johnny Evans back, his first league start since October. He looked uh, unable to kind of pull that defence together. And, and that's the concern, really, going to Newcastle. Um, they're still, you know, on that run of 21 matches now since the World Cup without a clean sheet. They've lost all nine games against the top five. Uh, away, they've lost 12 of 18. They've conceded 41 goals, which is the most they've ever conceded since 1915 in a 38-game season. Wow. They've lost nine of 11 uh, against the top 12 away. They've conceded two goals more in 10 of those. Um, it's hard to foresee anything different really on Monday night unless something massively changes between Thursday and, and, and Monday. So um, I'm going to back Newcastle to win, obviously, but uh, I think Leicester can contribute. Um, so Newcastle to win and BTDS is a nice price uh, around about 19 to 10. Uh, I think there's a huge increase on the Newcastle price just to win uh, a bit more aggressive than I usually usually would be. But it is sink or swim for Leicester, really. They've scored in 15 of 18 away, including 13 or 14 trips to the top 15, uh, which is a hell of a record for a team second bottom of the table. Uh, and for all Newcastle's plaudits and, and starting the season so strong defensively, they've now conceded a goal in 14 of the last 15 Premier League games prior to facing Brighton. So I'd expect that to be 15 of 16 coming into this fixture too. So they've been pretty gung-ho lately. Uh, I think they've got the tools to really trouble this Leicester team. They should win the match, but uh, I wouldn't back. I'd, I'd back Leicester to, to grab a consolation at least. I think one of the big worries for Leicester as well was the way that Fabinho effectively picked up James Madison by the scruff of the neck and dumped him in a bin fairly early on. And Madison, having looked quite decent early on, just couldn't make any kind of impact whatsoever let's head to Italy because the champions Napoli who are probably just sobering up about now facing Interside uh, who have just reached the Champions League final so they're just about sobering up around about now um, but Inter do still have work Brian to do to actually qualify for next season's Champions League so in terms of motivation Inter have it and Napoli don't really exactly yeah and Inter are around 2.7 to win this game, which is in and around the same price they were when they were away to Napoli last year. Um, and this time they're playing a Napoli team with nothing to play for, um, really. Um, 
earlier on in the season when I used to listen into the to the pod, Mark used to tip up Angers to be beaten early every week, it seemed. And that might be yeah. my strategy for the last couple of the weeks, uh, last few weeks of the season with Napoli, even though they've had slightly different season than uh, than Angers have. Just a um, Just Yeah. A I think even even if Napoli hadn't wrapped up the title, I'd be looking at, at Inter Milan in this game um, at two point seven. As as you said, they're they're still fighting for the for the top four. It's not wrapped up yet, um, but they're coming good at the right time. They've now won eight on the trot in all competitions. Lukaku and, and Lautaro Martinez both in goal scoring form. Um, five of Lukaku's eight league goals have come since the end of April, and Martinez has six league goals in that time as well. Scored the the winner in the. Um, second leg of the Champions League during the week as well. So when you have two top strikers on form, it, it, it piques my interest. Um, in the head-to-heads, Napoli haven't won against Inter in their last seven head-to-heads. Um, and again, it was similar to to the reason against um, Monza to get a result against them last week. You know, um, There's just no real motivation for them. Now, mm. against Monza, they they were heavily rotated Um Kvarcellia, uh, Kim Min-Jay and, and Di Lorenzo were all on the bench. I would imagine they might come back in for this. Um, their goalkeeper, Mary, though, uh, hasn't played the last two games. I think Galini might stay in the nets for this one. Um, and Inter have, have won their last five league games, scoring 18 goals, conceding just three. They covered the minus one handicap in each of those five games. And in that same period, Napoli have just two wins, scoring four goals, conceding four goals as well. So... If you want maybe a bigger price, maybe Inter to win by a single goal, but uh, at, a, at a bigger price. But I'm I'm just happy to be on side with Inter here at a, around about two point seven on the exchange. Steve, it's just a very, a very quick one for you, and this is very unfair because I'm just hurling this at you out of nowhere. But you've mentioned a couple of times how short Inter are for this Champions League final against Manchester City. What what are your early thoughts about how you approach that? Because we know Inter have got some quality especially in attack but how do you think that is going to go because obviously you know City are rightly very very short but there is some quality in that inter team yeah um I mean (laughs) (laughs) that was very unconvincing there about inter yeah well I think the price tells you all you need to know really I think because it's a final then there's not that requirement maybe for City to push on if they do score to, you know, try and score two, three, four. Um, So, yeah, maybe um, you could back into plus a goal and then essentially if they only lose by one, you'd get your your money back, for example, or uh, maybe to increase the price on um, a likely City victory, maybe City to win and and both teams to score if City start to, you know, um, try and see the game out at 2-0 up because it's very, it's obviously if City are in a winning position, they've never been in that winning position in the Champions League final. So, you know, the pressure, uh, Pep, maybe he overthinks it. Um, I think that's quite lazy now of us to say that, or me anyway, because... Well, no, I think he's changed. I think it wasn't. I think there was a point where we could legitimately say he keeps doing this. He keeps picking weird teams, weird formations. But I think the difference, one of the biggest differences, I think, this season for City and him is that he's found, finally, a system and a a shape that he's happy with. So he might change players, but it's all through that prism of that kind of five man build up and the and the way they've played in the last few months. So I think for a long time that was a legitimate criticism, but it probably isn't now. 
Yeah, and I think because it could be this historic moment, certainly um, normally City are priced quite low to collect cards because they dominate the football. So then it's harder for the it's harder for them to be without the football and ultimately commit fouls. But obviously because of the the, the jeopardy and the the history that's on the line, that I think you could probably back uh, City team cards or or certain players to pick up cards. Um, definitely from an Inter Milan perspective, we've talked a lot about Lataro, Halanoglu committing fouls. So, <clears throat> yeah, <I'll, clears throat> excuse me. I definitely look forward to uh, dissecting it uh, properly when all the all the markets are out. But yeah, there's no way you can be back in City at two to five. And these are obviously very early prices, Kev, because you know the match doesn't take place for another like three weeks. And so this is all just very very early money. So there's you know if if Haaland was to pick up an injury or something like that. I think <clears throat> whilst it wouldn't move the price very much, it certainly would move the price a little bit. And we all know that the you know the, the shrewd money, the smart money, tends to come on the day of the game. So there 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 will be uh, an element of uh, of movement for sure. We will have a full preview on Football Only Better of that Champions League final. Finally, in Spain, Mark, you've got a pick for us. Yeah, so there's still four rounds of football still to be played in La Liga. Um, Barcelona obviously locked in the title last week. Elche be relegated for a while, but there's a, a really competitive battle for Europe and there's a really competitive battle to avoid relegation. So looks quite intense, looks quite inte- uh, competitive, uh, opposite ends of the table. Two of the teams involved in those battles are, are Rayo Vallecano, Vallecano and Espanyol. So this match this weekend matters a lot to both teams. Uh, Rayo start the weekend just two points off European qualification, which would be an incredible achievement for a side, a um, bit of a ramshackle really off the off the pitch, uh, which is a bit of a shame really. They're always expected to struggle because they operate on such a minuscule budget um, in the sort of uh, the working class area of Madrid, very much the, the paupers of that city. Um, yeah. You, know, you can't even a, book a ticket online at Rio. I was about, you I was have about to queue to say, up. That's how dysfunctional they are. In 2023, you can't buy a ticket online to see them play at home at Vallecas, <laughs> which is an incredible experience if you ever get to Madrid. Always, I'd, I'd urge anyone to go and see Rio play at home. It's a it's a brilliant place. Um, they're so unorganised off the pitch, but they're just a wonderfully intimate club, which um got a real sort of love affair with, really. And uh, their football operations are quite chaotic as well, but they seem to have found a way... Um, it's just minor miracles to see them where they are right now. And at Vallecas, they're they're always very tricky opponents. They've beaten Barcelona here not long ago, are currently on a three-game winning streak. They've actually scored in 12 of their last 16 games, as well as eight of their last nine. But they've only managed one clean sheet in 14, and, and that's very much the Rio style, uh, going back to the Paco Jemez days, where it's just kind of uh, entertaining football. At, at home, both teams have scored in 65% of their games, and, and that's going to be my bet for this match against Espanyol, who've really spiralled out of control since February. Nine defeats and 11. They've gone down into the bottom three. They've changed coaches, but still haven't managed to sort of stem that bleeding. But they are decent going forward. And I think anyone who watched their derby against Barcelona last weekend, the, the final score was 4-2. They scored a couple of consolation goals. But they threatened throughout that match, more or less because Barca were playing a stupidly absurd high line. But, you know, th- this team is capable of scoring. And, and one of the stats, which is just quite astonishing, Espanyol have scored in 28 of 32 La Liga matches this season. 
despite sitting second bottom. No team has scored in more La Liga matches this season than Espanyol. Um, not Barca, not Real Madrid, nobody. This Espanyol side has scored home and away against Barca, home and away against Real Madrid, home and away against Real Sociedad. They've only played Atletico once, which was away. They scored in that match too. So outside of their base in Barcelona, Espanyol have scored in 16 of 17 away games, which is an incredible feat for a team facing relegation. Um, it's probably not hard to work out where their issues are at, though. Um, six clean sheets all season, just two away. It's basically made them one of the best BTTS teams to follow across Europe. 74% of their league matches have seen BTTS click, but that rises to 82% away from home. And we're getting 1.9 on a repeat uh, away at Rio, who should score at home to Espanyol. Let's be, let's not be silly about it. So, yeah, a big price for uh, for a game. I'm expecting goals. Sounds like fun. That's uh, all we have time for, sadly, on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly now. We've been nominated for Best Podcast at the annual Smart Betting Club Awards. Our very own Mark O'Hare and Jake Oscarthorpe have been nominated in the Best Tipster category. Mark up for Best Writer as well. So if you want to vote for us and them, and you do, of course, why not? If not, uh, the link is in the description, but I'm also going to give you it here. It is smartbettingclub.com slash 2023 awards that 2023 is in numbers not letters so i'll give you again smartbettingclub.com slash 2023 awards from brian from mark from stinch and from me it's goodbye for now